Struggling with your faith? You're not the only one. You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show. I figured Kelly would uh, appreciate that. You know, pain can make us selfish. And while truly becoming oneself has the potential to make us selfless in ways we never imagined, in our deeply personal TED Talk, UPS pilot Kelly Lepley considers how the things we choose to hide or, or embrace can ultimately define who we are. With a steadfast commitment to a single path that is rarely seen, Kelly Lepley has grown from pointing at pictures of airplanes in every book she could find to flying one of the largest cargo planes that UPS holds. In stark contrast, her personal life follows a complex and twisting path. Riddled with the shadows of deception and self-doubt, she is familiar with the painful stops, starts, and questions that come with becoming who you are. With immense love for her two daughters, who she adopted from China, Kelly Lepley profoundly understands the complexity of chasing the longings that consume us. Here's a quote from Kelly. My transition from male to female cost me my home, marriage, retirement, friends, and acceptance within my church. As painful as it was, though, I would not have traded it for the life lessons it taught me. This... It's a highlight moment for my show today. Kelly Lepley, thank you for joining us. Where are you now? You're down in the uh, in the United States of America? Hi, Drew. It's, uh, yes, I am. I'm down in Kentucky. Good afternoon to you. Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, listen to you. Well said. Knowing that us Canadians <laughs> are celebrating Thanksgiving, well done. Well done. Oh, thank you. Well, first of all, Kelly, I've got to start this uh, this interview off by, I don't know, it might sound a little trite, but apologizing for... The ostracization, which I, I, you know, I think um, nobody wants, but yet we we all seem to be pretty good at doing in our own ways, but nobody wants it on them. For the the shunning, the the forcing you to the outside, the rejection. Let's just call it like it is. For the rejection and the hurt that you have experienced through this journey of yours, and and I'm only apologizing on behalf of God, people. Because if anybody should put their arms around you, it should it should be the God people. And for you to experience the opposite, that's crap. And I'm sorry. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So <clears throat> let's start with um, the Caitlyn Jenner conversation. Because as soon as you hear that, I'm sure, look, look, does everybody bring that up to you these days? Does everyone go, so let's talk about Caitlyn Jenner? I mean, are you tired of Caitlyn Jenner conversations? No, I'm never tired of her uh, whatsoever. She's she's brought a lot of uh, information to the forefront, and through her public story, she's been able to share a lot of her suffering and what she went through, and she's put it on the front burner so people are beginning to understand who we really are. So, no, not at all. Would you consider her a hero of some sort for you? For you? Would she be a hero? I, it's very hard to define a hero for myself. I... That's a really tough question to ask. You. Heroes and myself are, are ones that uh, are on the front lines trying to serve our country and, 
and uh, risking their own life to keep our freedoms and stuff like that. But mm. anybody who, who goes out of their shell to do something and to live their life fully and completely, they are people that I respect, and I have the, the, the utmost respect for anyone like Caitlin. Well, let's talk, uh, you know, about your journey, and uh, of course, being someone who has gone, who's who's transitioned from from identifying as a male to now identifying as a female, this identification process really began quite young for you. What age? Oh, sure. Probably my earliest recollection was around five and six years of age. I knew that something was different about me, but I grew up in an era, you know, in the late seventies, early eighties. We didn't have the internet like we had Google. You're social media like Facebook, there was no information out there for us. I'm sure you remember this. If you wanted to do research, you had to go to the library and look at a card catalog and try to figure out where you're going from there. There's only a couple of stories I recall back in that early day. Was One was Renee Richards. Another one was Christine Jorgensen. But besides that, uh, I knew very little about this. I knew I was different. I knew that I was a girl inside, but yet from early on, I was taught that to be a follower of our faith, one could not be gay or transgender. When was your first experience with um, rejection from God people? I went through a divorce when I was 21 years of age, and um, the, the, that divorce took place because I had acknowledged that I was suffering from gender dysphoria with my first wife, and then six months later she filed for divorce. And then I felt like a failure and went into a program to learn how to restore my manlyhood, if you will, uh, through the 12-step process. And during that period, we were ostracized from the church that I grew up in in Traverse City just for being divorced, because people just did not get divorced in my church. And I was like a failure, 21 years of age. So I felt that ostracization early on. And then, of course, I got married again when I was 25, thinking, okay, I've got all this under control. And uh, I learned very quickly after getting married that I did not have it under control. Because in our religion, we were taught one could had to be celibate until marriage. And so until that marital covenant took place, I didn't realize how bad I was shape I was in until I made that covenant. And now I'm stuck in it. And then the second time when I dealt with this ostracization is when I did come to terms with who I was at the age of 40. I shared the story with my wife. And within 24 hours, I had church leaders calling my phone, asking me what was going on, what did it, what, you know, and what, how could they help? And I, I thought they were sincere, and I began to share my story, what I was suffering from, why I was in need of help, and um, they would say, no, you just need to pray this way, lay this down before the cross. We will help restore you back to manlyhood, and if you don't follow our direction, you could face severe consequences. And it was within the first 24 to 48 hours, I started receiving that ostracization. And then when I would see members of my church, they would turn their backs against me. And so it's been a very difficult challenge throughout that process. And one of the things that I, I, I dealt with a lot through this, Drew, is I, I, sometimes there's a self-pity. It's like, God, why is this happening to me? Why? Why? And I can't explain this to you at all. You know, it's not like an audible thing comes to my head and says, consider it an honor or anything like that. But there was this, you know, because I've read the scriptures, I know the scriptures, and it brought to light about the story of Jesus, you know, when he came down to this earth and he shared the good news, the gospel to all people, and specifically those that the church rejected. Who were the people that put him on the cross? 
it was the religious people. Mm. They were the ones who did not accept him. And so I thought about all that as I was being ostracized and dealing with a lot of that from the church. Yeah, it's easy to say, you know, that's a reflection of Jesus. But no, Jesus experienced that same rejection, but he experienced even further going to the cross on my behalf. You know what I love about uh, about the church scene, the tribe, is uh, I love getting into Bible studies uh, with your soon-to-be uh, ex's divorce lawyer. I love when that happens. <laughs> wow. That, that, was, that was a challenging experience. We, we were in a Bible study just prior to my divorce. There was the, my ex's lawyer along with the, the leader of the organization and then myself. And the three of us were trying out a Bible study online to see if it would work for professionals, business professionals. This woman knew my heart. She knew my passion for the Lord. Yet when this opportunity arose where my wife decided to file for divorce, she took the case on. And from the get-go, the allegations were flying in the courtroom about being this person that I wasn't. And I would deal with that for the next two years. And that was a very difficult, painful thing to see somebody that was once in Bible study now attacking me in the courtroom. Not cool. I mean, you know, eventually you won joint custody, but but you really lost everything financially? Financially, yes. In fact, uh, my credit was destroyed, and I've got another four years left until I can reestablish credit or anything of that sort. But yes, uh, it cost me everything financially to show the courts that I was adequate to be a parent to my children, who I absolutely love and adore. And the relationship drew, you know, even though I've lost everything, you know what, I've, you can't put a price tag on happiness, and you can't put a price tag on love. And the fact that I was able to win joint custody of my children was a huge win, because many court systems, what they try to do is drag it out to the point that people in my situation that had gender dysphoria end up losing it, and they never get a chance to see their kids. Their kids are ostracized from their own family, and they never get a chance to see their parents until they're 18, 19, 21 years of age. It's a very sad predicament for many people in my situation. I am very fortunate that I was able to win that joint custody for my children. Kelly, in this journey that you've been on, you know, we're really at the heart of this discussion is you're striving to be authentic, right? You've got this this identity inside of you. And look, we can all relate to this. It doesn't have to be gender dysphoria. I mean, we can all relate to who am I really? What is my most authentic self? And why am I hiding certain aspects of me? And and how do I process this? And and I find empowerment when I when I am my authentic self. But that battle, right? That that back and forth and, and processing pain. You say pain pain can make us selfish. And when I hear the um, you know the power of positive thinking, folks that are all out there, or the, the the Oprahs of the world, or whatever Anthony Robbins. You know, everyone's encouraging everyone to be their true, authentic self and let that out. But but you're, I think maybe I've got this wrong. But are you not saying? Sure, I, I I get that, but along the way of of letting your authentic self out, you got to be careful of a of a selfishness that comes along with that. Is that true? There's a selfishness that's involved when we as individuals are placed in these metaphoric boxes. You know, for an example, I was happened to live this life that I couldn't relate with. I would be, as I shared with you before, I was like an actor. I I acted a part that I did not relate with twenty four seven. The problem is when you are placed in a metaphoric box, which you don't fit, you become very self-absorbed because you're so focused on internally trying to be this person that you're not, 
that you're unable to give back to anybody else. You deny people, your loved ones, the ability to love them. And that is the selfishness that comes about when you live in these metaphoric boxes that we're placed in. When we are allowed to be released from these boxes and live our true and authentic life, we're able to love those around us. We're able to give back to our communities, make positive impacts in the lives of others. Before I could not do that, Drew. So is there a danger on being... Is there such a thing as being too self-focused? I mean, sure there is. But but when someone is is uh, is in hot pursuit of authenticity, uh, is there still such a thing as being too self-focused? Not that I, from my standpoint, no. Because once I can release all of that baggage, I have the ability to serve others. I'm able to serve my community. I, I work in a charity organization for our union, and I represent them giving back to our community in Anchorage, Alaska. I've been able to work with orphans overseas. Why? Because I'm no longer internally involved with myself, but I can give back because I have the ability to love where before I could not do so. You know, I find it interesting, the, the correlation between you at such a young age, and if, if I understand things right, there's no one in your family who's a pilot, and yet you were fixed on airplanes. You were transfixed on airplanes. You That was going to be your life. You knew at a really young age that that was going to be your life. So the correlation between that and also at a really young age, you knew some other things as well. You knew that, that you, they, you were different. And, and oh, one, absolutely. So, you know, one, you were, I guess... You know, society allowed you to, uh, you know, gave you permission to 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 dive into, and then the other one, you just did not have that permission. I don't know. I just find that th- there's got to be some fascinating correlation between those those two journeys. There absolutely is a correlation between those two journeys because I, I and I share this in my story is that at the expense of my personal life, I became very successful in my professional life. And you know what, Drew, I'm not alone in a lot of this. There are a lot of my friends who are transgender, are professionals. They're not only pilots, they're computer programmers, fire captains, engineers, brain surgeons, scientists, high-level appointees to our federal government. I, the list can go on. We become very good at what we do because at the expense of one, we become very driven at the other. Right. But the problem is at some point in time when we've achieved all those goals, that still nagging part of our identity is still there. And at some point in time, we have to deal with it. Um, I, I can't remember. I just read an article recently where I think it was the leader of the Southern Baptist or one of, the, one of them there, Baptist down there, uh, who, who came out recently and said, look, the, the uh, therapies that we used to make people get into in order to get fixed and get straight, yeah, that wasn't a good move. But at the same time, yeah, we're still not signing off on same-sex marriage. Uh, have you seen that article? Do you know much about that that story? Oh, yes. Uh, the Southern Baptist Convention had a convention this week that dealt with uh, not only the, the gay issue, but also the transgender issue. Um, they, they, they have acknowledged that it, that didn't work, but still that basically instead of uh, accepting you as being gay, we're going to tell you, we're going to encourage you to be celibate now. We, we, can't, we can't make you become heterosexual, but we're going to encourage you to be celibate, kind of the direction that they're leading. But, you know, in one of the, I was just reading in this article uh, concerning what was going on, and it says, addressing the question about if a child insists on embracing their transgender identity, James Hamilton, a professor of the Biblical Theology of Southern Baptist Theology, answered that 
parents have no responsibility for continuing to support them. It's the transgender child, he insisted, who severed the relationship with their family. Dr. Moeller, who uh, oversees Southern Baptist, similarly suggested that it's polite to respect the name and gender transition transgender strangers may use when introducing themselves, but that doesn't mean parents should respect the name and gender their own children assert. No, he asserted, there is never a justifiable reason to affirm transgender kids, and they love to call it confusion. Hmm. These things aren't negotiable, he said. You know, no one would choose to make such a drastic change out of confusion. We all know who we are. And, you know, the scientific evidence is now suggesting that this is created in the uterus. It's not something that is created through a nurturing role. In fact, if you want to go and look at a couple of case studies, look at David Reimer, which I'm sure you're familiar with, up in Canada mm-hmm. back in the 1960s and 70s, where they altered his gender and due to a circumcision malfunction, if you will, um, they decided they were going to raise this child as a girl and see if they could nurture this person into being a girl. Well, long story short, she recognized what was happening at age 15. She detransitioned back to male, and in her early 20s or 30s, she ended up committing suicide. This is not something that is nurturing. This is something that we are born with. It's created in the uterus due to uh, the estrogen and the hormones that are going on during the fetal brain development. Once that occurs, you can't change it. And the sad part about this when it comes to organizations like the Southern Baptist Convention or a lot of the reparative therapy programs They think that we take hormones as candy. It's not candy. It's a chemical reaction to our brains that are hungering for it because our brains developed in a specific way. And if we don't get it at some point in time, it makes us very difficult to function. Hmm. So when you neglect a child, the opportunity to get the proper hormones, you're basically stifling their ability to function completely and fully. Same goes for us adults. And that's why I was talking to my therapist in my process, I said, why is there so many of us between 30 and 45 that are dealing with it? He says, your brain is like a muscle. And as the older you get, the less resilient it becomes. And the more it's hungering for that need for the hormones, it's being balanced. It's not candy. It's something that we need in order to function. Wow. Wow. You just dumped a lot of stuff on us there. That was amazing. I, I... I would imagine, Kelly, that now that sort of, I don't know if this is the right way to say this, but now that, you know, gay, being gay is a little more acceptable these days, that the new pariah is the transgender world. Is that fair? Oh, it's absolutely. We have become their punching bag. And and sadly, it's, it, it, it's for us adults, we can handle it. But my passion is for the young children who don't have a voice. And for the parents who are being taught by these leaders saying, no, you cannot nurture your child or you cannot accept your child as who she is. Mm-hmm. You need to let her go through puberty or him go through puberty. You basically have stifled that child for life. You know, I think as, a, <laughs> as an ignorant um, uh, straight male uh, that I, you know, I'm trying to go through what my reactions have been, what my thoughts are in all of this and, and how I would respond. And, and so, 
you know, let's say you know we we've, we've I have heard of uh, of uh, fathers uh, and e- indeed some preachers. I've played their ridiculous clips on this show where they've said, you know, if your son wants to dress in ladies' clothing or you know you catch him doing this or he's got a weak wrist, you need to kind of smack him back into being a man, kind of thing. And you know, every look, the reason I play that is because it's just ludicrous. But at the same time. You know, I, I think I personalize and I think about, okay, so I have a, my, my children are older, 26 and, uh, and 23. So let's say my son's growing up and, and um, you know, I, I got to admit, I I tried to help man up my son, not that he needed any help, but that, you know, it's just kind of a thing inside of men, I think. And I, and I sure. tried to help him with, <laughs> imagine me, uh, for those of you who know me, uh, you know, this is ridiculous, me trying to get him to dress a certain way or to kind of get an idea what cool is like i don't want my kid walking around with socks and sandals on you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. so and then the you hear the extreme where you hear parents are saying well I, we're not going to use any gender uh a description or words or you know any kind of identity stuff whatsoever we're going to let our child decide for for itself what gender uh, it wants to be and I, that's a part that's a thing i just it's hard for me to wrap my head around can you help me that's yeah i could understand that as well and, and sometimes it goes to the drastic drastic extremes but you know we as children because gender is such an inherent part of who we are it's our identity and it all starts from the when in the uterus we know who we are and we can make it very clear you know as we're beginning to function you know when it comes to playing with toys boy, girl toys, our, our functions and stuff of that sort, what we want to dress and stuff like that. It really helps to sit there and listen to your child and see where that's going. Yes, you can help steer them and see where they're going, give them opportunities. But ultimately, it, it's one of those things that it's not where the parent just decides, oh, wow, I, I need to go in this direction. No, it requires therapists to be involved, educated people who are involved with this. I don't see any problem with that when parents are more on a general neutral because they want to allow their child to dictate it. But what parents have to understand when it comes to transgender children, when they ultimately make that decision, we just don't wake up with epiphany tomorrow and say, you know what, I'm going to change genders, you know, and go to our mom and dad no. and say that. No, this requires a long-term process where doctors and psychologists are involved in monitoring and seeing where this is going to go. Wow, I could talk with you for a very long time. I find you incredibly articulate, and um, and I've talked to a lot of people over the years around this subject or in, involved in this issue. And and th- you know, every once in a while, you know this, Kelly. Every once in a while, you get somebody who, and we're all different people, who are just so fired up and wound up, and they're they're all about rights and and protesting and marches and you know petitions and government and I don't know. I I think you lead with grace, and I think that's allowed me as a straight, awkward, ignorant male. To, to be helped along in this conversation. So thank you. I really, you know, we've run out of time, but I, oh my goodness. Thank, oh. thank you, Kelly. You've shared so you. much helpful stuff. I am honored to be here, and thank you for having me. What a pleasure. I, I, I look forward to speaking again. Thank you, Kelly. Oh, have a wonderful day. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Have a great Thanksgiving, folks. And don't forget, if you don't sin, Jesus died for nothing. Bye-bye. Thank you.